Psalm chapter 1 says this, Blessed is the man or woman who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Let's pray. Holy Father, Lord, thanks for your word this morning. Lord, thanks for the truth of your word, the gift of your word, and that it is your word for us. Lord, thanks for sending Jesus Christ for us as we prepare to remember him and through and his work through communion. Lord, thanks for your grace, Holy Spirit. I pray that right now that you just remove every distraction from our hearts and our minds, that you would just teach us, that you'd encourage us, that you'd open up your word to us, that you would help us, that we have lives of weight. Lord, thanks for the book of Psalms and the help that it is for us in life. I pray you just teach us through it today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. A missing element, I believe, in our culture today and in the church culture in America is a thing called gravitas. Gravitas to the Romans, they would have heard it as a virtue and they would have said that that's exactly what you need is this gravitas. And gravitas is just a Latin word for heavy or for, it's, got the, it's where we get the word gravity, which is it's just got weight to it. There's, uh, there's gravitas, there's weight to it. Gravitas is what it is that gives you the ability to be taken serious. The opposite of gravitas is levity, and where we just get the idea of just lighting things up. And if you think about um, our world today, that, that's where everybody in our culture often wants to live. They want to live in this sense of levity, and we just want to lighten things up. And when it comes to uh, the things of God, you go to a lot of places, and it's just about lighting it up. People coming in from a busy work week, and they're just going to light it up. Let's just make it light for you, and let, let things be light. Not a lot of gravitas. There's not a lot of weight to, in many ways, the faith in the Western culture. We need a gravitas, which is why I sometimes wonder. When you look around and you see people who grew up in church, and they go to church, and as they get older, they go through all the light things, the levity, and they love it, they enjoy it, they eat it up. Then they go to a life that's got grit and problems and struggle. And they look at their faith that they were passed on by their parents or their grandparents or their church friends or their members of their churches. And what they remember is just levity and lightness when it comes to the things of God. And they watch people who are in their church or in their fellowship or in their family. 
And they watched them as they went from one season of their life where it seemed like the things of God had great weight to them. There was a lot of gravity to it. There was, there was a seriousness about it. And then as they moved along, they, they were involved, they served, they cared about the things of God. And for some of those people, they thought, if I do this, God will do this for me. And as they went through life, that didn't happen. The things that they thought God was going to do for them, He didn't do for them. And so they started to slowly become lighter in their faith. They started to have more levity. And they would show up, they would be involved, they'd read their Bible, they'd study God's Word, but then they couldn't put those two things together, the, the brutalities of life and the things where they were disappointed with God and then the realities of what God says about God. And they would slowly, slowly, in a real sense, do quiet quitting. Maybe that's you. You had this great seriousness for God. You had this gravity of what, who and who God was. But as you've watched life and as you've endured, things haven't quite maybe gone the way you'd hoped they've gone. The struggles have been more harder than you thought it would be. And maybe you've just noticed there's a levity to your faith. There's a lightness to it. You can take it. You can leave it. You can worship God. You can not worship God. And maybe you just are here, but you're really just quiet quitting. But you just haven't told your body to stop moving forward. There's a gap in our faith often. There's a sense where we are hapless. And this psalm starts out with blessed is the man. The word blessed is this. It literally is the word happy. Happy is the man. And it's what it means. It's happy is the man. And so we are all about in our culture happy, happy, happy. But how is it? That if we've all been about happy, 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 there just seems to be this less gravity. There's this much more, less seriousness about the, the weight of what God calls us to. Back in 2017, a band called Walk the Moon, they sing, sing the song, All I Want. Says, I, and in that song it says, I am my own sanctuary. I am my own hero. I am my own teacher. I am my own love of my life. I am my own way out. I am my own sanctuary. That is a song of our culture that says the only way I'm going to find any gravity, any weight to life is in myself. And when you try to find weight in yourself, you find yourself to be extremely light. That's why if you've seen the movie Elvis and this sad story of his life, at the end of his life, there's a scene in the movie where he's sitting there talking to Priscilla, his wife, and he says in his early 40s, Weeks before he dies, there's, there's been nothing in my life that matters. He, he's had everything. He had everything. But he said in his life there was just no weight. There's no gravity to his life. In the early 70s, there was a man named Natan Sharansky. He was a Soviet Jew living in the Soviet Union, U.S. SSR back then. He was an activist for human rights. 
And because of that, and Russia did not go for human rights, the, the USSR, Soviet Union back then, that he was opposed. They put him in prison for nine years in a Russian gulag for high crimes and treason, and they called him a spy for the United States. And some of you may remember this uh, story in the early 70s. And the, he was there for nine years. And the only thing that he had, his wife gave him a book of Psalms. That's all he had the entire time he was there. He was really not that religious of a person. He was not a follower of Jesus Christ, but he had this book of Psalms that his wife gave him, kept it for nine years. One year of his life, he was put in a six-by-six cell for an entire year with no light, and they would, uh, he was due just to hunger strikes. They'd try to take his book of Psalms from him. They forced fed him over 35 times, which he said was a, for, it was a feeling of torture. But he had this book of Psalms, and what he said about this book of Psalms as he was dealing with all these situations, he said his, it, it, he, he loved it, he, he read it, he, he held on to it, because his life was narrated for him by something bigger than his life. His life was narrated by the book of Psalms. And as he was a part of a, a uh, prisoner swap, he wrote in his book that the, as they took him out, he finally got out. They drove him to the end of the runway. He got out. Of the, they told him to get out of the car and waiting for the car that was supposed to pick him up. And he said to the guy, where's my book of Psalms? And the man said, you have been giving everything that you were permitted you." And it was in February, and he said, where's my book of Psalms? And he said, they, you've been given everything that's been permitted to you. And he said that he dropped down in the snow on the side of the road, and he screamed out, I'm not going anywhere until you give me my book of Psalms. And finally, someone walked to another vehicle, opened the door up, pulled a little book out of a box, took it back to him and handed him his book of Psalms. He got up and he got out of the plane and he rode away. Because he had made a vow, he said, on the day when he was finally released, he made a vow to God that he would read Psalms 30, which says, I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help and you have healed me. That is a story of gravitas. That's a story of weight. It's a story of a man who wasn't even a follower of Jesus Christ, but the book of Psalms had that kind of weight to him. This morning, as we look at Psalm 1, the question I want to ask us is, what is the gravitas of your faith? What's the weight of your faith. Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 are introductory psalms to the book of Psalms. This Psalm 1 was written not first, but it was as they compiled all the different books of the Psalms. There's five books of Psalms, and they put all these songs together, all these things that Jesus would have read and sang and memorized. And as they compiled them together, they put together Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 to be introductory, introductory into the book of Psalms. And Psalm 1 starts out with, blessed is the man, or happy is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scorners. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he does 
meditate day and night. You've got to be very careful when you start opening Psalm 1 and you read that, and as a Christian you say to yourself, that's what I want, but I can't seem to be that way. How, how, how do I, 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 read, I, I read that, but how do I do that? How, how, how do I become that way? What we have to remember is that Psalm 1 is a spotlight on Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the only one who truly and fully lived the ultimate light, life of gravity and weight. He is the one that fully lived out Psalm 1. So when we read this, blessed or happy is the man who walks not in the counsel of the Lord. It's, it's not, not a call to just try to do this, do this, try to be this thing. What it is a call as a Christian, as a follower of Christ, it's a call to you and to me to increasingly become this way. Because Jesus lived this life, he, he's calling us to live this life. Ephesians 5 says, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. We're called to be increasingly like Jesus in this way, increasingly being this kind of happy. Blessed is, happy is. It is it's, it's the word is truly happy, and it just means truly happy. The truly happy person is the one who lives this way. Richard Foster wrote 40 years ago, he wrote this. He said that the desperate need today is not for a great number of intelligent people, or gifted people, but for deep people. So how do you develop, and how do I develop a life of depth, a life of gospel gravitas, a life so lived that people will look at your life and look at your desire to be like Christ, and, and it will live in such a way that they will see this weight, this growth, that they will take you serious. How do you develop that? First, he says, there's these, all these contrasts in Psalms chapter 1. There's just these pictures for us. God always was painting pictures. But first he says, blessed, happy is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor seats in the seats, sit in the seat of the scorner. He just says, if you want to be this happy, blessed, gravitas, weighty life, then you have to go a certain way. There's paths here. There's, there's two ways to go. And he says there's a path. And if you want to, there's, a, there's a, a way that you have to go. There's a path that you have to be on. The, 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 the blessed man, the happy man, he does not walk in the counsel of the, he doesn't stand in the way of sinners. He doesn't sit in the seat of scornfers, which means there's a, there's a path for us to avoid. Growing up in a Christian school, in a church, we used to hear Psalms 1 talk to us all the time. Young people, watch your friends. Be careful who you hang out with. Be careful who you listen to. Watch who you stand with. Watch who you sit with, which is very all true. And I would say it's all very still true. But it isn't just for teenagers. It isn't just for little kids. It, it is for all of us, for adults, for grandmas, for grandpas, who, who look at their life and wonder, why isn't anybody following me? It maybe could be because you were serious for God years ago, 
But the problems of life have caused you to create great levity in your life, so much so that people will hear what you're saying about a Christian, but there's just such a lightness to it, they're like, why would I want any of that? So the call is, even for us, to say, there's a certain way we have to go. There's a path we have to avoid, and the pool is. In Deuteronomy 17, God said, the nation of Israel, I'm gonna let you, I'll let you have a king. And one day you'll call a king. But I don't want you to let your king gather a bunch of horses. I don't want your king to gather a lot of wives. And I don't want your king to gather a lot of cattle. Basically, he was saying, be very careful with the pulls of power, sex, and money, which are all the pulls of us even today to, to not go a certain way. There's, the, there's, this, there's this pull to do these things, but there's a progression for us not to go. He says there, there's a way that don't walk, don't stand, don't sit. There, there's a progression to that. And we will say, well, I'm, I'm not chasing after those things. I don't, I, I'm older now. I don't listen to those things. I've come a long way now. But here's the question. There's a certain way not to go. There's, there's a path to avoid. And this says, walk not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scorners. You say, I don't do that. I, I got good friends around me. But what is it about your, maybe your inner circle of your computer friends? what you post on social media, who you listen to, what you're pump, pumping into your brains, all your political pundits that are telling you, here's the counsel, here's the way to go. Here's what you should think about finances. Here's what you should think about life. Listen, here's the way to go, 50-year-old, which I almost am. Live hard for God, then gather a bunch of money and then don't live so hard for God the rest of the time. Get yours. Retire in luxury. So much so that you just avoid ministry and you stop serving and stop caring about people because you served hard when your kids were young. Now it's time for you to relax and let the other people take over. Problem with that, there won't be any younger people to take over because they haven't had good examples to follow. What path are you pursuing? There's a progression to it. Don't walk that way. Don't stand that way. Don't sit that way. There's a path to pursue. He says, but his delight, the happy person, the truly happy person, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. They didn't have Bibles back then when they were, this was written. They, they, had, they had to memorize things. And so the, someone who was thinking about these things, they would, they would just be murmuring it out loud. You would, you would hear somebody thinking about it, murmuring it, saying it. This is, this is the path to take. Because the pull to money, sex, and power is so strong to stay off that path that we have to pull ourselves and think, well, which direction should I go? Do I just follow the course of everybody that's in the world and I toss Jesus on it somehow and say, some spiritual things? What is it? And the way we do this, the way we go a certain way, if you're 15, 55, or 85, the way you go a certain way that we are called to go on this path is you make the decision in advance and then you manage this decision during the enemy's advance. 
Today is the day you say, you know what? No, I'm not going to do that. I, I feel the pull of the world's culture. I feel the pull of saints before me who live light with great levity. But I'm going to decide to live my life and give all my life for God and for the cause of Christ. And you make the decision in advance. And then you manage the decision. Because if you make that decision, Satan is going to come and attack you. As he says in Ephesians chapter 6, and the fight's going to be intense and it'll be violent and you'll think it's not worth it. I'm not going to make it. But you just manage it. And when that attack is done, you look back and say, no, the decision is the same. I'm going to stay with my decision. And the attack will come again, and you'll start to forget it. You'll start to fumble. And then the attack will, and you go back. You, there's a path to pursue. There's a certain way to go to be a blessed, truly happy person, the Bible says. There's a path to pursue. And second, there's a, there's a, there's a certain way to grow. He says, this person, in verse 3, he's like a tree, or she's like a tree, planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does, he prospers. There's, there's a, a, a way to grow for this type of person. This is a desert area that they're talking about, so really, it's a, they're taking this plant, it's replanted, and it's planted by streams of water that yields its fruit. There's this, it becomes a sturdy tree. If you choose the path that God says will bless you, bless others, and you give your life fully to Jesus Christ, all of your life to him, and you walk that path, he says that person is like, then becomes a tree planted in streams of water. They become a sturdy tree. The way this happens in your life is there, there has to be this recognition. Many of us would say, I, I love God. I absolutely love God. I, I love God with all my heart, soul, and mind. But if we really were to ask ourselves, do you like God? Do you really do you like God? It's, I can say I, I love a lot of things that I can say, but I don't like them right now. A, a sturdy tree will recognize, you know, I love God, but do you like, do you like what he's doing in your life right now? Do you still like God when there's the pain and the struggle? Do you still like God? A person who has gravitas and weight in their life says, yeah, I like and I love God all the times. I recognize this. And the way they recognize it is because they've been thinking about the things of God. They've been delighting in the law of God. All the things that God says, they delight in it. Even the hard things they don't understand. Even the hard words that he says in his scriptures, they, just, they delight in God. They let God be God. And then they repeat it over and over again. It's meditation. They just maul this reality of his word over and over and over again. They just repeat it. They meditate it day and night continually. They, they want to hear and know God. Thomas Watson said, Too often we walk away from the word of God cold-hearted because we fail to warm our souls at the fires of meditation. The way you become a sturdy tree is just to, to have this recognition that I love God and I'm going to like God. I'm going to repeat His Word. I'm going to meditate it and think about it. And then as you do that, there's going to become a reservoir that pops up in your life. 
Andrew Brunson, maybe you remember his story, a few years ago was a, little past, was a pastor of a little groups of churches in Turkey. Turkey thought that he was a spy for the United States. They took him into prison. He was there in prison for years, and finally he was released. And recently I was, I don't know a lot about his story, but I was recently reading a little bit about his story, and, and he said this, while he, he struggled with what God was doing with him in his life. He struggled. Before he went to prison, though, he had prayed. God, I want to pursue you. I want to know you. And then all these things uh, took place in his life, and he was struggling with prison. He had a 35-year sentence hanging over his head. He thought he'd never get out. He was struggling deeply uh, with it. But he he finally came to this conclusion that I I love God. Whatever takes place, I, I like and will love God, however he allows to take place in my life. Him and his wife were in prison together for a couple of weeks. And he said, I noticed that my wife, Noreen, in the midst of this two weeks, she was handling it a lot better than I was. He, he was totally stressed out. He was wondering what God was doing. He looked over at his wife. She seemed calmer. She seemed more peaceful. She said she was handling the struggle better than he was, and he couldn't figure out why. And then he re- realized. He says, you know what? It's because Noreen has always been a tortoise in her faith, and I was kind of the hare. I'd get excited about the things of God, and I'd get really passionate, and then I'd kind of let it fade and become white. But he said, for my wife, Noreen, she, she was just like a tortoise. tortoise. She, she consistently made time with God a priority. She consistently studied his word. And when she was in the midst of her greatest struggle, she was like the tree planted by streams of water. She had built up this great reservoir that, God was able to, that she was able to pull, pull from. We, we grow a certain way. And you may say to your life, listen, I would love that to be true of my life, but I don't see the advances in my life. I don't see the spiritual growth. I'm struggling. I see the two steps forward and the three steps back, and then I try again, and I get knocked back down again. Well, first of all, be very careful about assessing your own spiritual fruit. This is why we need other people. But if you're heading in the right direction, if you're trying to grow that way, just know this, as Dietrich Bonhoeffer said as you look at your life, what may appear weak and trifling to us may be great and glorious to God. Just stay in his word. Just keep going because the contrast is if you don't grow that way, you're going to be like the chaff that the wind blows away. There's nothing. It's just they, they bring all this stuff in. They'd, they'd beat the, chaff, the, the, the wheat, and little ch- dust and particles would fly, and there was no stability to them. There's just wander away. We all know people who we thought were sturdy trees, but as life beat them, this chaff blew them away. There's a way to live, and there's a way not to live. One commentator said about the chaff, the wicked life has no weight of worth, no root against the tempest, no abiding in God's world. So if you want to know if you're growing a certain way, and you, you just this is my desire, I want to grow, I want to see God move in my life, then ask yourself, what, what are you doing now with what you know? Don't wait till you have to figure it out. I got to study some more. I got to get some more experiences with God. I have to do this. I have to do this. Just what are you doing now with the things that you know? With the things that God's already taught you? And what, how are you, what are you doing to touch the lives of others with what you know about Jesus? Now, that's how we're just being trees that are growing and spreading. Ask yourself, are you growing in a certain way? What are you doing now? 
with that. Not only are we to grow a certain way, there is a, we have to grab hold of a certain reality. Verse 6 says this, For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. There is a path for the blessed, happy person. and They become like a tree. There's a plant that will become part of your life. But then on top of that, this, there's, there's, you've got to grab hold of a certain way. There's a promise that we have to hold on to. The, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. The Lord knows. That word knows is not just like God knows you're around. He's got you on a list somewhere. That word knows First of all, it's an invitation. The Lord knows. He knows your life. You can't hide anything from God. He knows what you're like on Thursday as compared to Sunday morning. He, he knows what you're like on Saturday. And he says, therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgments nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. The Lord knows. And maybe you are saying, you know what? I, I, my life doesn't have weight. I would like my life to have weight. God knows that. And God's offer to you is an invitation. He knows your life so much. He cares about your life so much that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for your life. He gave up his life for your life. And if you would see Jesus for who he is and come to him and say, Jesus, I will give you all of my life. It's an invitation. God says, I will come in. I will never leave you, nor I will never forsake you. It's an invitation, but for the Christian, as you take that invitation, it's also a great investment of God. The, the, the word knows means, it is, it's not even a possible to ex translate that word fully in English with all the ways the original word meant, but it's this idea that it is, he's, God knows, he's clear on your life. God is, cares about your life. He covers your life. He's intimately involved in your life. He, he knows. That's why I think this is the beginning of the book of Psalms. He says, happy is the man who walks not in the council. Uh, this is the happy person. And then you start reading Psalms, and a third of the Psalms are laments and cries out to God. I don't feel so happy. Because he gave us the book of Psalms, and he gave us this word as an investment to say, I know that. I care about you. So I'm going to give you 150 prayers and songs to sing in the midst of that. So when you are discouraged, I got a psalm for that. You pour out your heart to me. When you are afraid, you say, the Lord is my light in Psalm 27 and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? When things are wonderful, you know how to rejoice and to sing because you have the psalms for you. And it's an individual. The only person who ever could live this life and did was Jesus Christ. The Lord knows the way of the righteous. And those who know him, we, we can live and become this life. Philippians 3.10 says that, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Jesus' life for you gives our lives a gravitas. It, it is, it's not all serious sadness. It's great joy with a deepness that the world can't explain. The world can't even imagine because there's a joy. There's an unbelievable joy to, to, to being known and to knowing that the Psalms is trying to offer us in Jesus Christ alone. A couple years ago, I was in, at an event and 
I got to the event. I just was, was invited by a guy who kind of had an international ministry. And I, he was there. I, I walked in. I, I sat down, and he started the event. He didn't even know me that well. And he announced that I was there to all the people that were there. He, he announced that I was there, where I was from. He'd met me before. And then we went through the event, and after the event was over, he came out right up to me, and he started taking me all to these other people. There was former in, uh, base, uh, um, in, uh, baseball players. There was other ministry leaders all over the place. And he's just walking with me, or he'd tell me to go introduce myself. He'd, he'd introduce me to somebody, get a conversation going. If I'd stop that, he'd come over here and move me to somebody else. And it was almost embarrassing. I mean, it was, I was worn out at the end because every time I turned around, he was right there introducing me, helping me be known, and there was though a sense of joy. There was this joy of being known and someone knowing. This is what God does for us. Blessed is the person who walks a certain way, who grows a certain way, and grabs onto the promises of God. There's a, there's a joy in being known. There's a gravity to that. There's a gravitas to that. The greatest life of weight was Jesus Christ. And on a communion Sunday, we come to the table to a God who for 30 years lived in obscurity and had a, three years of ministry. And in that ministry, he was despised and rejected of men, but he never riled back. He lived the life we would not and could not live. He lived perfectly for those because he loved us, because he wants to know you, and he wants you to be known. And then he died, Jesus did, and he rose again, and he left a meal for us. And communion is a meal for us to remember the weight of Jesus' life, the reality of his death, resurrection, but also the joy of it. Because Jesus died for your sins, you can have life. You can have joy. We can be blessed. We can truly have that kind of happiness for those who walk that path. Which direction will you go? We walk, or maybe even again this morning, choose to say, I'm going to walk the path of God. I'm going to walk so I can be a tree planted with streams of water. I'm going to grab onto the promises of God. I'm going to remember what Jesus Christ did for me. I'm going to continue in the faith with joy to be a blessing to others and to bless my life because of what Jesus Christ has done for me through his life, death, and resurrection for us.